Welcome to Healing the Spirit, a space where we awaken our creativity, deepen our connections, and remember who we are through the lens of astrology, archetypes, and art making. I'm your host, Jonathan Coe. everyone welcome to healing the spirit and welcome to this episode so this episode i will be sharing with you some contemplations based on the astrology and the energy that i'm sensing for uh the coming week which is april 17 2023 and as always my invitation is for you to really turn inwards and to really tune into what information is here for you um the point of these contemplations is really to invite you into deeper relationship with your life, with your path, and um, with the energies that are um, surrounding you at this moment. And so allow your direct knowing and allow your internal authority to uh, take primacy over anything that is shared by me or that you think I'm sharing, right? Feel into whether it feels true for you and whether it feels like something that you would like to engage with at this moment. So let's begin with a little bit of an overview of the astrology. On Thursday, the 20th, Sun will be entering Taurus and then the Sun will be squaring Pluto, which is currently in Aquarius. And also on the same day, a very busy and packed day, we will be having a hybrid solar eclipse, which is our second new moon in Aries, while the uh, north node is in Taurus. So this new moon in Aries will square Pluto in Aquarius, and um, it will also conjunct Vesta in Taurus, right? And both of these will happen by degree and not by sign. And then on Friday, the 21st, Mercury will be going retrograde in Taurus, and on Sunday, the 23rd, Mars in Cancer will create a sextile to Mercury um, in Taurus. So this is a really interesting week, right? Because we have the sun moving into a new sign and then creating a square with one of the outer planets. We have a solar eclipse and then we also have a Mercury retrograde, right? And so there's a lot of energies here and there's... Um, a lot of noise and noise is both exciting and also can be potentially confusing right um, and there may be not a lot of clarity but nonetheless there may be a lot of visceral energies that are moving through us during the coming week and Something that I would like to say in the beginning before I start deepening into the astrology itself is that um, I think this is one of those weeks that will be really interesting for us to approach from the perspective of I am a human being and for some reason I am here and I am part of the universe and I am the universe wanting to experience uh, 
life wanting to have certain kinds of experiences that are only available in a human body, right? And to approach that with a little bit of humor and compassion and um, try to, as much as we can, get into some sense of how can I approach this with a little bit of a neutrality, right? Because a lot can come up, but I think also, as I kind of alluded to a moment ago, not everything is here for us to respond to. Not everything that comes up this week necessarily even has meaning. Like a lot of things may really be coming up this week that are just for us to kind of say, huh, that's interesting. And then leave it at that, you know, <laughs> which is not always easy, right? Because we live um, in a culture that really asks us to respond to things, to have an opinion about things, to have a perspective on things. And I think it may be really liberating to approach this week from the um, perspective of I might be experiencing a lot and all of these experiences may just be experiences. They may just be sensations, right? Um, they may just be emotions. And not to say that our experiences are not valid or that they're not really worth our care and attention, but um, to give, give ourselves a little bit of extra space before experiencing, uh, but or rather between experiencing and making meaning out of it. So the first thing that um, I will share is a little bit about the sun moving into Taurus, right? Because the sun is exalted in Aries, right? Um, the sign that it's been for the past month or so. And so sun in Aries can really bring up a lot in terms of um, seeing things that perhaps are not always visible before or confronting something that... Um, have been hidden a little bit underground. Things may be really coming up and the sun being, you know, really kind of energized and potent in Aries, right, and bright um, may have this energy of like, I want to see it all. I want to tackle it all. I'm ready for this, right? And that's fabulous. And I think as the sun moves into Taurus, it's going to shift a little bit in terms of energy. Taurus is a receptive or a nocturnal sign, right? And so um, Taurus is also a sign that is ruled by Venus. And so there is a corporeal dimension, right, that is inherent in the landscape of Taurus. And some of that may really be illuminated in our lived reality as the sun moves into Taurus. In the Northern Hemisphere, Taurus is often associated with the height of spring, right? So on a very real, very embodied sense, um, it's interesting to notice how spring can really remind us that we have bodies, right? That we exist in a form and that our bodies interact with other bodies, both humans and non-humans alike that our forms are influenced by the forms of others and that our forms also influence the forms of others, right? And that our forms um, impact our, our lived experiences of both ourselves and others. So one example that I think is a pretty neutral example that I will share here is where I live in New York City, it's really kind of amazing to be 
riding the subway during spring, specifically because we tend to have pretty long winters, and during the winter time, everybody is essentially drowning in their winter coats, right? And so you may see someone, but you don't really see their figures, you know? And then the moment the temperature rises, you really get to see people um, and what their bodies look like rather than just the silhouette of their coats, you know? And so I think this is a really interesting and really, um, yeah, really nice imagery of like what spring can be bringing and what sun in Taurus can be bringing, right? Because with the sun in Aries, yes, spring is introduced, but there is that rush, right, of energy that is often required for us to wake up from the slumber of winter, and burst forth into spring, right? But after that initial rush has kind of calmed down a little bit, what we're sensing is this ability of like walking around and realizing, wow, look at this. We have bodies. Trees have not died, you know? There's this experience of like, oh, there is life above ground that we haven't really experienced during the wintertime. And then there's also the eclipse, right? And we are officially in eclipse season at the moment. And this is an interesting eclipse because, as I mentioned, the north node is in Taurus, the south node is in Scorpio, and yet the new moon happens in Aries, right? It happens in 29 degrees Aries. And, um, you know, eclipse season, to me, tends to be where energies get quite chaotic, right? And chaotic is an interesting um, is an interesting thing to experience, right? Chaos is an interesting experience for us because often chaos can really bring up whatever it is that we are not um, always that are not always clear to our cognitive mind, to our linear brain. And often, it can bring up some level of anxiety, some level of fear, right? And because we can experience um, fear and anxiety when we are faced with chaos, when we're faced with uncertainty, we can easily equate, right? Our reptilian brain can easily equate chaos with malintent or malice, right? But to me... The energy of the eclipse is not necessarily bad or evil or dark or has an intention to hurt us, right? I really feel, at least as part of my cosmology, that it's not really in alignment and it doesn't feel quite right to see cosmic or collective energies as necessarily being bad, right? Because this... um duality that we sometimes hold between bad and good is very much um, a human construct, right? And it's often based on our experience as humans with limited capacity for safety, right? And so um, if we open our perspective, right, if we expand our perspective to what else is chaos um, bringing up for us, right, um, we can start to see that Chaos is not necessarily dangerous, right? But chaos does require us to know how to work with um, 
a little bit of randomness, right? A little bit of surrendering our need to know exactly how to get from A to B, right? I want to give you an example that I think is, again, hopefully quite neutral, right? If you have been to um, Tokyo, or maybe you've Googled photos of the Shibuya crossing, or if you have been to New York and you've seen Times Square, right? That kind of energy of the wave of people kind of coming in from all kinds of different directions, meeting, rubbing off against one another, and then, you know, someone like trying to cut the line, right? Someone moving in an erratic direction, trying to uh, get through or trying to move at a pace that the rest of the crowd is not moving in, right? It's that's the kind of chaos that I'm talking about, right? Chaos is simply um, high traffic. You can think of it that way, right? If we think of chaos as high traffic, then it's not really about whether that is necessarily good or bad, or that it has, you know, um, dangerous repercussions, but it's more about what skills are necessary to navigate such traffic, right? Astrologically, this new moon or the solar eclipse is in 29 degree Aries, right? Which is a cardinal fire sign. So temperature-wise, there's heat that's really present, right? And also, this is heat that's been crusting, right? And perhaps about to ready, about to drop into a cooler realm, right? As it moves um, basically a few hours after this particular solar eclipse, it will move into um, Taurus, right? The, this, the moon will move into Taurus. And so um, it will immediately shift into a slightly different feel, right? 29 degrees Aries to me feels like that moment when maybe like a wound has crusted and that crust is almost ready to come off and it may be revealing some tender new skin, right? And the operative word here is almost because it's it may not just be quite there yet, right? And at the same time, it can itch really badly, you know? So um, this is an interesting energy because Aries is very... Um, can have this really impatient quality, right? Aries is uh, cardinal fire. And so um, Aries can feel like a match, you know, like in order for a match to really light up, right? It needs to have some level of friction. So I want to paint a slightly fuller picture here because I think um, it might be interesting for you to deepen into your own contemplation, hearing from different perspectives, right? And kind of taking a peek at this 29 degree Aries landscape through different, um, through different lenses. And in order to do that, I would like to enlist the help of the work of two astrologers, Elias Lonsdale and Austin Kopik. So, when looking at degree astrology, meaning um, when we're looking at the kind of astrology where the degree is also taken into consideration, I like to consult two different um, methods, right, or two different systems. One is the system of the Deccan, and the other one is the system of the Chandra symbols. So let me start with the Chandra symbols. Um, 
basically it's channeled information and it's interpreted by uh, Elias Lonsdale. And I like them because I find that they kind of open up something within me. And, and because it speaks in symbols, there is multiplicity of meanings, right? Meaning that whatever is coming up for me as I'm listening to this particular um, description of 29 degree Aries may not be what comes up for you. And so I think there's beauty in that. And I think there is opening right in that. So for this last degree of Aries, the image for the uh, from the Chandra symbol interpreted by um, Lonsdale is an anatomist delivers a lecture on the kidneys. An anatomist delivers a lecture on the kidneys. And this is what Lonsdale wrote about it. Knowing about the things that others would rather pass on by. Absorbed within the excremental, the margins, the cracks. Preoccupied with matters of critical awareness and pragmatic considerations. You somewhat decadently repeat over and again patterns of viewing yourself and others as dysfunctional machines or poorly put together bits and pieces. Being so conversant with the little mind that you are a walking encyclopedia of trivia, having made it your business to specialize in determining what has gone wrong. What is the problem here? Ultimately and essentially, playing back variations on one's self-image as being off-course and hopelessly wrong-headed, given to exaggerated negative impressions, at times even condemning self and world to being unworthy and unredeemable. So that's one image, one interpretation, one perspective about the last degree of Aries. And then the other one that I would like to share with you is Austin Kopic's uh, 36 Faces, right? Which is his now um, out-of-print book on Deccan astrology, right? So the Deccans basically are 10-degree slices of each zodiac sign. So each zodiac sign consists of 30 degrees. And so um, every 10 degrees belong to one decan. So each sign has three decans. And 29 degree Aries corresponds to the third decan of Aries, right? And the imagery here is the burning bros. And I would like to read for you a little bit from the book um, about what Austin wrote about this image of the burning bros. In this phase, we see the power of art to overcome hostility. This is the power of the dancer, the stand-up comedian, and the lecturer to charm a hostile audience. While the first decan of Aries involves a focus on victory in competitive or hostile relationships, and the second, the establishment of conscious sovereignty over personal reality, the third decan scope extends outward in a more social direction. The spirit which established independence in the first decan and rulership in the second here shines before many, setting fire to the hearts of all who bear witness. This is the power of the spirit to unify and seduce, to motivate and to bond those of confluent passions. The action of this decan, which is according to one system Venusian, another Jupiterian, is classically benefic yet it requires the martial heat of the battlefield. A number of visions dance across this face. The performer stands before a hostile crowd. The surgeon 
crouches with his troops in a bunker while artillery rains down. A hippie places a rose into the barrel of a loaded gun. In all cases, it's the potential conflict which galvanizes this face's power to unify. There's a remarkable potency here to create a commonality of spirit even in the most hostile conditions. Yet, the bonds that form here often require that intensity to endure. The bond shared by military men, the celebrated esprit de corps, decays outside of war's pressures. The audience members soon forget the performers who so moved them. In Love's Battlefield, once the friction and fire of the first conjunction with its terror and elation have subsided, the lamp of raw passion burns low. A less volatile fuel is required for the flame to continue on. So that's a little bit from Austin Kopic about um, the third decan of Aries. So the other thing I should mention about this particular uh, new moon, this particular solar eclipse in Aries, is that it is ruled by Mars in Cancer, right? Which is tender. Mars is said to be fallen in Cancer. And so this is reminding me of the power of tears, the power of disappointment, the power of grief or other emotions that are challenging or that are not um, quote-unquote positive, right, in helping us kind of move forward. There may be an inherent discomfort in a new moon um, such as this one. And so, um, yeah, so that's the second piece, right? And thirdly, I would like to speak a little bit also about the Mercury retrograde, right? Because generally, um, Mercury retrograde has a very internal energy, right? I don't necessarily agree with this, but you may have seen on social media or kind of pop astrology, um, a lot of advice around don't travel, right, during uh, Mercury retrogrades or don't sign a contract or your technology will break down, right? Like possibly that could happen. Um, I will also say that that also can happen outside of Mercury retrogrades, right? But regardless of how you feel about those mercurial anecdotes, or rather those anecdotes about Mercury retrograde, what I do think is true about Mercury retrograde is that it's an invitation for us to slow down a little bit, right? To allow a little bit more of an internal expression of our mercurial functions, which is thinking, um, communicating, rather than an external um, expression of them, right? So this doesn't mean you can't talk things out, right? Mercury likes to talk things out, but I think um, it can sometimes be more helpful to have conscious awareness of how our particular spoken or written expression when communicated to others have certain impact, right? And that this impact during a Mercury retrograde can get a little wonky, can get a little stuck in misunderstanding, right? And so what if you take a little bit of extra time to really give yourself some space, right? To not immediately rush into, this is what I think, my way or the highway, I'm super certain about this, but rather maybe engage in an internal process first because that internal process 
um, while it can feel a little bit maddening, you know, and can feel like um, you're going to burst from the inside because you just need to let this out, can be really beneficial, right? Can be really illuminating for you before you kind of direct them outwards. Because as our intention on an internal level becomes clearer to ourselves, often our communications also become more effective, right? And maybe leaves less space for misunderstanding. That being said, this this is an interesting Mercury, right? Because this Mercury retrograde is in Taurus and it's conjoined with the Moon and Uranus at the moment that it goes retrograde. So Mercury and the Moon are both very quick-moving energies and Uranus brings this dash of unpredictability into the mix, right? So there can be um, a level of, especially at the outset, but I think also throughout this particular Mercury retrograde, kind of this, um, like an an extra compulsion to move a little bit quicker and to move towards the the direction of potential um, unraveling or potential surprising of the status quo, right? Um, This is not bad, but just know that if we engage in a quick, maybe not, you know, a movement that we don't premeditate, right? What can happen is, again, some chaos might ensue, right? And so if we are already aware that cosmically, energetically, collectively, there is a little bit of that potential for wonkiness, I think this can really help us um, become a little bit more aware of the choices that we have here, right? Do we want to contribute to that energy or do we want to kind of take a step back or maybe put a little bit of extra buffer if we are not ready to necessarily work with the repercussions, right? In addition, all of the Taurus planets at the moment answers to Venus, which is currently in Gemini, right? And so Venus in Gemini can point to um, there being a compulsion, right, to engage, to participate, to chime in, when in reality, more discernment prior to engaging in a conversation or in a situation may be really beneficial, right? Reactivity can lead to even more confusion during this kind of transit. So what can you do to give yourself a little bit of extra buffer there? So I've spent quite a bit of time laying out the foundation of um, the energies that are present for this coming week, right, for you. And so bringing all of this together, you can see that there's a very specific kind of astral weather. And as I mentioned before, there's a lot of noise, right? There's a lot of traffic. And it also, with all of these placements in Taurus, the sensation of being in that traffic energetically can be very visceral. You may really be feeling this in your body, right? You may be feeling the contrast of energy, the um, split, right, of the directions in a way that is really out there, that is really present and visible in your lived experience, right? And there may not be a lot of clarity around what to do about it. And so I think what's interesting to consider, to contemplate with this 
upcoming week is thinking about this idea of the holy limit. What do I mean by the holy limit, right? <laughs> we live in bodies, we exist in a form, and so we have limitations. We have capacities, right? How do you know when enough is enough? And often, I think it can be quite easy to figure out what is enough when we are dealing with challenging situations, right? When we're dealing with people who may be um, impulsive or people who may not be uh, receptive to what we have to say or people who may be rude in how they express themselves, it may be really easy for us to put up a boundary, right? It's really easy to look at someone who's not very pleasant or a situation that's not fun and to have this really natural sense of being repelled by that situation and feeling like, I don't want to deal with that, right? That's not something that's for me. And I think if we have been really focusing on um, affirming ourselves, working with our inner child, working with our um, with activations that may come up around our worth and who we are um, in relation to others, I think the sense of like, ugh, I really don't like that anymore can be really, really obvious to us, right? And it can be really easy for us to just be like, okay, I'm just not going to talk anymore because this is getting too much, right? But I think the opposite is also true, right? Or rather, the other end of the spectrum is also true, that sometimes in order for us to preserve our ability to really sense into our capacity and our limit, we also have to be mindful of how much quote-unquote good stuff we are putting into our system right? What do we do when we have more information and more energy than our system can humanly take at this moment, right? Do we know what it feels like in our system when we're reaching the limit of our information intake, right? And information is interesting. It's an interesting word because in our culture, I'm speaking about the culture of the United States in 2023, right? Information is often thought of as like the news, right? Or um, things that you get from Google or social media. And I think, yes, all of that is information, right? We also think about like reading books as information, right? But I think as humans, we're really multidimensional beings. And so we experience information through all of our senses, right? We There are so many different ways of being, so many different ways of knowing that are engaged that receives information. We receive information in a physical way, right? Often, our bodies tell us when it's sleepy. Our bodies tell us when it's tired, right? We receive information from the mental um, realm, which... I think we are all aware and we're all familiar with what it's, what it's like to experience mental information or receive mental information. We also receive information energetically, right? You might feel anybody who has experienced the wrath of a lover or the wrath of a parent or a friend knows this, right? Like someone can be really angry and one look at us and we know 
not to mess around with this person at this moment, right? We know that this person needs some space. That's energetic, right? Because they may not be saying anything, but just by looking at them and sensing into their energy, you may be feeling some level of information. And then information can also be emotional, right? And I think emotional information, one of the challenges with receiving and discerning emotional information is the fact that emotional information is, to me, one of... Um, it really lacks a lot of clarity because you can't really tell if this is your own emotions or if this is that person's emotion and you're just absorbing it and if there's even a difference, right? Information can also be explicit as in expressed directly to you, right? Or um, to the external world or it can be implicit, right? It can be something that you read between the lines. Information can come from within, and it can also come from without. And so the practice of discerning what information is really for us to take in versus what information can just stay kind of on the outside edge of our being is really not trivial, specifically because we live in a culture where overwhelm is kind of the default, right? Just think about how many channels... Um, how many channels are available that you can receive information from, right? You can receive information from social media. You can receive information from the news, even your phone, right? How many apps are giving you information, you know, at one time, right? When you really think about it, it's kind of crazy, you know? And so our system can easily get overwhelmed. And I think handling overwhelm or a feeling into how specifically you can work with this experience of overwhelm is really um, an important contemplation for this coming week, right? So something that I've been thinking about a lot is how there is a direct correlation between how susceptible we are to feeling overwhelmed by others and their energies, their agenda, their actions, and how much we are overwhelming ourselves with our own demands and expectations, right? This is interesting because we tend to, it's, it's a lot easier to look at our external reality and to consider that our overwhelm comes from too much information from outside, right? But often we also have some choice that we are not always aware of. And there's also internal processes like internal self-talk, internal um, pressure that we put our, on ourselves around how, what are ex our expectations, right, in living in this reality and how do we fulfill those expectations. And I think the more we demand of ourselves, the more we also pick up on the pressures that others may be on a very subtle level or not so subtle level sending to us, right? And so if you are feeling overwhelmed by the world around you, if you are feeling overwhelmed by your inbox, you're feeling overwhelmed by um, your coworkers or your partner or your children, right? I think a, a really interesting question is, are there ways in which you are overwhelming yourself through certain 
preconceptions or assumptions about who you need to be in order to be a good person or in order to be a productive member of society or in order to be um, a, a professional, right? That often the weight of expectations that we can feel from others is amplified by our own internal expectations. And so I think it's really normal, right? One thing that I would like to normalize is the idea of feeling other people's feelings because we are such porous beings, right? Even though we live or a lot of us live in hyper-individualistic cultures, right, in countries like the U.S., um, or in modernity in general, I think a lot of us live in a way that is much more individualistic rather than collectivistic, right? And we tend to like to think that we have space from other people's energies. I think it's really normal for us to pick up on other people's energies, right? Because um, our survival as a species, as humans, really depend on focusing our energies outwards, right? We depend on scanning our environments to tell us whether we are safe or not, you know? Um, one thing I've been thinking a lot about living in New York is how dependent I am on people who, you know, clean people who clean the streets. I may not know who they are on a personal level, but without folks who are cleaning the streets on a regular basis, basically this place will be completely uninhabitable, right? And also uh, people who pick up the trash, you know, from, from various apartment buildings, right? Is really essential for us, even though we don't have personal relationships with people around us, with our environments. Our survival really depend on the interconnectedness, right, of... Um, of our beings. And so I think it's really normal to feel other people's energies in our fields. And also, sometimes it's really easy to blame other people's thoughts, other people's energies um, when we are feeling overwhelmed. When in reality, there's a lot we can do, especially around easing off our own thoughts, our own. Um, the, the pressures and the standards that we put on ourselves, right? So I think quite simply, this is a lot about feeling into when do you know in your body when you're at capacity? How does it feel in your body when you're overwhelmed, right? Again, this is not always simple. One easy indicator for me personally is I notice that I'm at capacity when I start to be really snappy towards the people around me, right? Or when I start to get really shifty, like when I can no longer really focus on what this person is saying. It's not because, you know, I, I tend to surround myself with people that I love, right? People that I care about. And so if I start to find myself kind of wandering away from being able to be with them, in whatever it is that they are conveying with me, to me, I know that I'm probably at capacity, right? I know I'm probably too tired to talk to this person or I don't have uh, the mental space to do so, you know? Um, maybe you find that you can't really seem to control your impulses, you know, or you start blaming others around you. Th these are all um, really clear signs that you may be at capacity. 
another indicator that you may be at capacity is once you are done with doing something, a particular activity or engaging in a particular situation, you might find yourself needing a lot of time to really come down from that interaction, right? And some of this is not... Um, I'm not saying that our capacity is fixed, right? Our capacity is mutable. We can train our capacity. We can expand our capacity. And also, I think an astral weather, such as eclipse season, combined with Mercury retrograde, combined with Sun square and Pluto, is not really the time to be testing our limits with regards to capacity, right? This is really the time for us to be honoring our existing capacity and allowing ourselves to uh, let go of that which we do not have capacity for. And I think the other side that is interesting to consider and contemplate about um, capacity is also this idea of nourishment, right? How do we know when something feels nourishing? How does true nourishment or real nourishment or embodied nourishment differ from compulsion, right? And how do we release the compulsion to continue to engage when we are past the point of something being nourishing? So what I mean by this is that sometimes we think, oh, I really love to learn, let's say. So I love to read books. True story for me. Um, and it's easy for me to just be like, oh, I'm going to read three more pages when actually I'm kind of done with this book. So, or, or another example is food, right? I love my sweets. I love desserts. They really, um, <laughs> they really nourish me on such a deep spiritual, emotional, <laughs> physical level, right? I love, love, love my ice cream. And if I'm completely honest with myself, there's always a point where I'm like, I am good. I don't need more ice cream. My body doesn't need more ice cream, right? And yet my mind can continue going on overdrive and thinking, no, 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 you can do more, right? Um, there's no such thing as too much of a good thing. So I think an interesting thing to kind of feel into, and I think this is also the Mercury and Taurus lesson, right, is what are some of your body signals? What are some of your energetic signals? What are some of your emotional body signals of letting you know that you've had enough? This is good enough, right? This is time to disengage. Um, I think that this astrology with all of the chaos can really be bringing to us, especially after the chaos is done, after we are past the point that feels tender, that feels saturated, that feels intense. I think this astrology ultimately can really bring us things that are really important for us in terms of considering the ways that we can further grow, right? It can show us what are we ready to outgrow? What are we ready to leave, right? What are we ready to give up? What are we ready to start? right? I think it's important to allow ourselves to be transformed by the astrology. And also at the same time, we want to be really honest and really respectful towards our nervous system capacity, right? So I think 
the last thing I will leave you with here is this question of can we allow multiple stories, multiple universes, multiple truths to coexist? What space opens up when we don't allow ourselves to immediately, in the heat of the moment, assume that the information we are receiving or perceiving internally or externally is the capital T truth, right? And also, I think that the practice of giving a little bit of extra space between experiencing something or perceiving something and making meaning out of it or impulsively changing the direction of our lives based on the information perception that we are moving through is also a skill that requires a resource, right? We need to be resourced in order to be in that state of being capable to discern. And so asking ourselves, what do I need, right, to resource myself so that I can really hold my experiences and the experiences of others with compassion, trusting in the validity of the present moment experience without fully believing in it, without having this stubborn um, sense that just because we're experiencing something, it's always going to be this way, right? My hope for you this week is to find a wisdom that is within your heart to discern if something is really requiring your action, your response at this moment, or if this is something that you are just supposed to receive, that you are just supposed to experience, that there may be nothing to do about it. And knowing the difference is really powerful and really will hopefully show you that your limits are really divine, that your limits are holy. All right, my friends, thank you so much for listening to this week's contemplation. I hope that this has been helpful for you. And if you are enjoying this podcast, if you're enjoying these contemplations, I really hope that you will consider leaving a review. It is so nice to receive um, some of the recent reviews that um, some of you have left for the podcast. This is um, a project that is so near and dear to my heart. It is offered free of charge for all of you to enjoy Hopefully you are enjoying it and hopefully you're finding it useful. And it still requires a little bit of my time, you know, to to put this out. And so I would really appreciate your help. I would really appreciate your um, collaboration in getting this podcast out there. And uh, yeah, leaving a four or five sentence review is so, so helpful in getting this work out there to those who may also benefit from this. Okay. That is it from me, and I am wishing you a beautiful week. I'm wishing you a lot of juiciness and also ease and laughter and um, peace for the eclipse season. Um, I'm sending you so much love, and thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm.